What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time for the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online for all your website needs at sonicwebstudios.com. The Mike Wagner Show brings you interesting people doing interesting things all across the globe. Now, let's get started on The Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com. Mike Wagner with you here on The Mike Wagner Show, powered by sonicwebstudios.com. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Call today at 800-303-3960 for fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 10% off your first order. Also, The Mike Wagner Show can also be heard on themikewagnershow.com. Also on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Mike Wagner Show. You can also hear The Mike Wagner Show on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And joining us from beautiful, sunny California, he played Chip on the beloved classic TV show, My Three Sons, for 12 years, of course, going back to 1960. Of course, you know, imagine what times were like. He's also appeared in many movies, TV. He's been on stage. He's also got his own uh, production company, and he's been a writer, producer, and, of course, he's also a big fan of some quartet that is over the ocean, on the Atlantic. Of course, he's been around the block, and of course, he'll just tell you all about it. The very talented Stanley Livingston. Stanley, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm Thanks do- for having me on. Hey, no problem. I'm doing great here. Of course, you know, you're known for playing Chip on My Three Sons, of course, along with your um, adopted brother, Ernie, which is actually um, your actual brother, Barry. And of course, you also been. I've been doing the show for 12 years. At the time, it was the longest running. You also appeared in many movies like um, Attack of the 60-Foot uh, Centerfold, Please Don't Eat the Daisies. We'll get to all that. You're also a writer, producer, and you own a production company. And first of all, before getting to the classic TV show, it started in 1960. ran for 12 years with a very famous um, actor at the time who was comparable to Tom Cruise. Tell us how I got started. Um, well, I got started basically like most people do in the industry uh, as an extra. <laughs> um, I went to a swim school in Hollywood, and uh, it was kind of populated by a lot of Hollywood-type people, producers, directors' kids, and agents' kids, and there was an agent there, and she saw me. I was very extroverted, and I guess she thought I was a good candidate maybe for to be a child actor and somehow talked my mom into uh you know, sending me out on a couple things. And yeah, the first couple things I got, I didn't have any lines, but you know, I got my feet wet being on a set and saw what it was like. And uh, I ended up getting cast as an extra on Ozzy and Harriet, The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, which is a very popular TV series uh, throughout, uh, gosh, the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s. Uh, Ozzy and Harriet actually is the, uh, the longest running sitcom on TV. It, when 14 years, uh, My Three Sons is the second longest running sitcom on TV, uh, running 12 years and almost uh, 400 episodes. So 
Uh, what happened was I got on the set and the storyline was Ozzy to make some extra money at Christmas time was selling Christmas trees out of his backyard. So he had this mini forest and he's selling a Christmas tree to somebody when lo and behold, all these little kids, neighborhood kids had been camping in his little forest. So we all came out with backpacks and sleeping bags and uh, we did the scene a couple times and uh, Ozzy came up to me and wanted me to say a line so uh, he gave me a line to say which was sure was mighty good camping in there mr nelson and i said the line i i guess i impressed him <laughs> the way i said it and i remember later in the day he went up to my mom and said i want to have him back and uh you know you hear that a lot in show business and then that never happens but in this case it actually did and he started using me as a neighborhood kid on the show um starting about i guess it was 1956 and i would say from 56 to 1960 i did probably three four five episodes of ozzy and harriet uh, every year as a neighborhood kid and got bigger and better parts on that show and because of the ozzy and harriet uh gig there was a guy on a soundstage next door shooting a tv series a man named jackie cooper i don't know if that name rings a bell but he was one of the original uh, little rascals Mm -hmm. And uh, by that point, he was probably in his mid-30s and had become a pretty big TV producer and TV director. And uh, when he was a kid, he started, besides being in The Little Rascals, he starred in a movie uh, when he was nine years old called Skippy. And uh, I don't know what gave him the idea, maybe seeing me or maybe he was already you know, planning to do that. But he wanted to do a TV pilot and see if he could sell Skippy as a TV series. And... I got hired to play the title character in that. Uh, anyway, I did the uh, the pilot. It was a half-hour-long pilot and waited for it to be sold for about two years while I did other things. I started doing movies. I did Please Send Eat the Daisies, Rally Around the Flag Boys with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward and uh, some other movies of that era. And, and meanwhile, this Skippy pilot was being passed around Hollywood to different agents and producers, and the producers of a show to be called My Three Sons saw it and wanted me to come in and meet me. And anyway, I went in, and they wanted to hire me on the spot. But the uh, the pickle was I was under contract to Jackie Cooper for another year. So, oh, wow. But I, I, yeah, I know. So he graciously let me out of the contract to go do the pilot for My Three Sons, which sold and, you know, went on to run for 12 years, which is very significant. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Skippy slipped into the abyss, never to be seen again, at least by me, till last week, of all things. <laughs> this is the weirdest story. There was a kid who was also on the show, and Skippy, that played my best friend. And um, I hadn't been in contact with this guy in 50 years. And uh, he, I guess he found me on... Facebook and of course I, I recognize his name and my mom and his mom were fast friends back in the day late 50s and uh, so we started talking and you know I, we were talking about Skippy and I said you know I, I never saw it I remember being on the set I remember working with Jackie Cooper I remember who played my dad who was kind of a prominent TV actor named Edward Binns if you've ever watched The Untouchables then mm -hmm. you probably know this guy and he starred in a lot of movies too but uh, anyway, I said, yeah, I never said He goes, well, I have a copy. I'm like, you're kidding. I, I never could get a copy. I said, I went to Jackie Cooper's house when I was probably in my mid-30s, and we were rummaging through his attic and his garage and never could find the print. So I, I never saw it. 
Anyways, mm. uh, so we made plans to get together, and we did. Last week, he came down, brought this DVD, and uh, so I finally saw the work I did that, uh, you know, in a TV series that I actually starred in and was the title character and probably dominated. The, I, I probably had 90% of the screen time, and I, I just turned eight years old. So, yeah, I was blown away by it, to say the least. You know, I could see, at least being a producer now or director, you know, why producers and directors wanted me i was interesting character at that age so uh, um yeah you know it's weird to see something that really defined your life really because and they never you know saw the fruits of my labor it just uh, disappeared into the ether and uh, anyway the other thing uh, well this guy's name was jay potter and uh, anyway when jay came over last week he not only brought the dvd but i he had the film reel of it. Which oh, my goodness. So I think that's the film reel that Jackie Cooper was probably looking at. And I have no idea how his mother got it. She was, I think, an agent or manager at one time and maybe was using it to show Jay's work. And everybody just assumed I had a copy. And like I said, not only did I not have a copy, I never I never saw the finished product. Mm. And I was. Yeah. So anyway, that. Got me on to My Three Sons, and uh, yeah, My Three Sons went for 12 years, and who knew? I'd start Fred McMurray, who, for listeners out there don't know who Fred McMurray is, uh, it would be like, like I said, it would probably be like getting Tom Cruise or Harrison Ford to be the dad on a show, on a TV series. It was unheard of mm-hmm. in 1960 that a movie star of his caliber was would even be on TV. So, um, yeah, it was uh, pretty pretty big deal and uh because of that uh, the networks handled our show with kick gloves and uh you know it went on and on and you know ultimately we did just short of uh, 400 episodes wow and of course you know just about everybody was intact including tim tim constantine william demarest tina cole yeah. william frawley and of course your brother and of course you know 12 years that is so unheard of and of course the big question is how do you manage to stay together for 12 years without too much fighting or drama? Makes you wonder that. <laughs> Good ratings. <laughs> <laughs> that helps, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that does. Help. My Three Sons was, you know, I would say generally in the top 10. Occasionally it might make number one, but, you know, it was always in the top 10. I mean, you could probably even sink as low as the top 50 and you're going to stay on TV. Once you're below that, you know, they're looking to replace you with something like my mother the car or something i don't know um <laughs> or attack of the 60 foot centerfold <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think that would have quite made it to the tv era i was in i'm uh, kidding you know, much, more, more, much more wholesome uh, although that was a fun movie to make uh, a buddy of mine made it and somehow i ended up in it but i guess i was doing him a favor i think somebody else was supposed to do that part and they bombed at the last minute and I got a call and he said, hey, uh, can you do me a favor? I'm doing this movie. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I thought he was going to tell me it was in a couple of weeks. I said, so when is it? He says, well, you'd have to be there tonight at like midnight. We're shooting all night long. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. So anyway, trusty old me showed up and did my part, which was actually kind of cool because I was in a scene with Russ Tamblin. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if you know who he is. He was one of the Jets in... um, uh, West Side Story. Yes, I remember that. And, yeah, and he was in a movie called The Haunting, I think it was, with Robert Wise film early on. 
uh, yeah, really, you know, great actor. And actually, we were didn't work with each other, but we were both in the Cinerama film, uh, How the West Was Won. He played the rebel in it that uh, gets killed by George Papard when he's going to shoot Ulysses S. Grant. Mm-hmm. And I played the son of George Papard and Carolyn Jones in the movie, uh, in the last third of the movie. So uh, anyway, we were, you know, both in that particular Cinerama film, which was a pretty big deal back in 1963, I think it came out, uh, and was in all 360 Cinerama theaters. And a lot of people don't know what Cinerama is, but it was the process that led to widescreen, you know, in the movie theaters. Before that, even movies were in that three-by-four format. So this prompted widescreen and even wider screens. So, and wider yeah. and wider and wider, wider and wider, and wider right. yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, of course, and, and, of course, how was Cinerama viewed at the time, too? Was it, like, just um, futuristic? Would it have been a bomb or something? Or, you know, well, how did people take no. Cinerama at the time? At that time, they were excited to see it because by 1953, when the first Cinerama films came out, uh, uh, people were defecting from the movie theaters into their own homes to watch this new fangled thing called television, mm-hmm. which uh, by 53 was in a lot of homes. So, yeah, the movie theaters are closing left and right, and they needed to come up with a gimmick to get butts back in seats. And uh, they came up with this idea of something really huge, which turned out to be Cinerama. It's, it, it's a process where three cameras mm-hmm. are actually locked together. There's a center camera, a left and a right, and uh, they crisscross each other, but it makes a very wide panoramic you know, uh, vista when you're shooting. So it, it really is impressive. And if it's shown on a Cinerama screen, that's even cooler because the Cinerama screen is actually, it's kind of an arc. Mm-hmm. It's it's a curved screen, uh, so if you're sitting at the right place in the theater, like maybe about halfway up and closer. Um... What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You get the sensation of almost like reality. Mm. Uh, the, the way I can liken it for people who haven't seen it is, that, you know, when you're driving in a car, you know how when you're looking straight out the window, that's where you're going. But on your periphery vision, everything is whizzing by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what Cinerama emulates. It you know kind of really emulates that really well. So the feeling of movement through a through space is really accentuated, very close to human vision. So it really makes it exciting. And uh, the first four or five Cinerama films kind of took advantage of that. They really didn't have any story. They were more like travelogues and took you to places where you could ride on a roller coaster, go down a ski hill, and uh, 
it was pretty dramatic because you would have the sensation, like I said, of uh, on your periphery vision, all this stuff whizzing by you, and the screen was huge. So uh, anyway, it eventually gave way to you know trying to apply that process to storytelling. And anyway, a couple films were done that way. There was the uh, Brothers Grimm film, The Wonderful World of Brothers Grimm, which actually Russ Tamlin was also in, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then How the West Was Won, which was this amazing western that was made in 1962-63 that literally starred everybody in Hollywood. I mean, the list, the cast list is incredible. Uh, Everybody from Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Gregory Peck, Debbie Reynolds, Walter Brennan. I mean, anybody who was a star in that era, John Wayne, uh, was in this movie. And, uh, you know, it was exciting for me because... You know, I wanted to be in the movies because I wanted to be a cowboy star. I grew up uh-huh. with cowboys. <laughs> you know, Roy Rogers and, you know, some of the later cowboys, not necessarily the earlier ones. But, you know, I had my own cap gun and holster and my early headshots was me with a, a gun and a holster and no front teeth. You know, that, that was pretty <laughs> exciting looking, I guess. And I never got to be in a Western, you know. I tried that for years. Although I did do a, a, one of the first things I ever did was a toy lariat commercial with Roy Rogers. I don't know whatever became of it. I never saw that either. But it's me and Roy Rogers spinning these lariats, and then he lariats me. He ropes me and pulls me over to him. Maybe. So... Uh, Anyway, lo and behold, 61, or 62, 63, I got a, my agent got a call from a, a big director uh, named Henry Hathaway, uh, who worked with John Wayne, God knows how many films, and uh, he thought I'd be right for the oldest son of jo- uh, George Rappard. Came in, met him, you know, really nice guy when I met him, and I got hired pretty much on the spot to do this film. So in between seasons of My Three Sons for about three, four months, uh, I was in Prescott, Arizona, Kingman, Arizona, by Lone Pine, California, where all the great westerns were filmed, and got to be in this uh, really incredible movie that, uh, like My Three Sons, has stood the test of time. In fact, uh, they restored the film, I think it was back in 2010, there was a guy that, you know, because film after a while deteriorates, it gets scratched, there's a guy mm-hmm. named Dave Strohmeyer that was restoring all the Cinerama films, and he uh, restored uh, for MGM uh, the, uh, the How the West Was Won, and they re-premiered it in 2010. And anyway, I met him. We sort of became friends, but I couldn't believe how many people showed up for this you know, screening, and I think they ran it for a week. Wow. Uh, T- TCM you know, was on board with all the advertising and everything, so yeah, it was really a, a fun project. And... Uh, Anyway, after that, every every year they would run it at least once at the ArcLight Cinerama Theater, which is, I believe, the, I think there's two Cinerama Theaters left. I think one's in Seattle or Portland, and the other is the one in Hollywood, the ArcLight Cinerama Theater. And uh, anyway, so they started asking me to uh, introduce the film. I would imagine before that, you know, they could get other cast members, but by sheer attrition... Everybody's gone. <laughs> I did introduce it, I think, a couple times with Debbie Reynolds, who played my great aunt in it. And uh, one of the stuntmen, Lauren Janes, big stuntman, literally forever and worked on every amazing film where stunts were done. He and I introduced it a couple times. I think I did it with Russ Hamlin one time. And Anyway, so a couple months ago, they ran it at the Arclight and asked me to come back, and uh, this guy, Dave Strohmeyer, who restored the film, myself, and then um, 
Todd Fisher, the son of uh, Debbie Reynolds, uh, came and he talked about his mom making the film and brought this little Super 8 film he had made on the set. So it was kind of cool to see her in between scenes. And yeah, I, you know, so in my life, those are the two things I'm known for. You know, I didn't realize that uh, How the West Was Won had become almost as big a deal as my three sons and had all these fans, but it's, I can see why. I mean, you know, in watching the film, I've seen it probably a dozen times since then, and it really, really holds up. Yeah, you know, with or without the Cinerama, the story is great. The story is really good. It, it, it does sound like a great movie and makes me want to go rent it. And, of course, as George Papard said, like in the 18 from many years ago, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> this one did. It really did. Well, it had three great directors, too. I uh, forget who the – I didn't work with one of them. The two that I worked with was Henry Hathaway, and the other was legendary, too, a guy named John Ford who – literally discovered John Wayne and you know he was in all those John uh, John Ford westerns uh, in the beginning of his career so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a good feather in my cap and my resume to say I've worked with all these you know great directors and uh, yeah a lot of fun yes it does sound like a lot of fun we'll get to uh, a little bit more of um my three sons in just a minute like to remind you uh you're listening to the Mike Wagner show on the mikewagnershow.com also powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com. If you're looking for a professional website without breaking your budget, Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today at 800-303-3960. That's 800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show and get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Also, you're going to hear the Mike Wagner Show on themikewagnershow.com. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash themikewagnershow. You can also hear the Mike Wagner Show on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. We're here with Stanley Livingston, best known as Chip on My Three Sons. Also appeared on How the West Was Won. We've talked about it a lot. He also appeared on Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold, Please Don't Eat the Daisies, and many, many more. He's also got his own production company, which he started at 18 years old. But first of all, just uh, getting back to a little bit of um, My Three Sons, we'll venture to um, other projects as well. You've had your great experiences with Fred McMurray, Tim Considine, William Demarest, Tina Cole, William Frawley, and of course, um, just tell tell us what's it like working with those um, classic actors and actresses. Well, you know, eventually, in retrospect, it, it was great. However, at the time, uh, you know, when I first started my two Sunday, I did the pilot. I believe it was 1959 when I was nine years old, and uh, I didn't, you know, I'd seen Fred, but it didn't mean all that much to me, to be really honest. No, I wasn't uh, of his generation, so I, I totally wasn't in awe of him or anything like that. So that, you know, uh, that that's probably a good thing because I think a lot of times when New actors are working with some big star. It's very intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard really to separate their stardom from, you know, just being another guy like you are. So, yeah, we, you know, we had a nice, easy, relaxed relationship. And, yeah, he was a great guy, a great role model. Uh, I enjoyed at the beginning we had the grandfather on the show was William uh, Frawley, who had come to My Three Sons right from I Love Lucy. He was the Fred Mertz character. Who was, I remember him, yes. Yeah, very, very beloved by audiences and uh, <laughs> quite a character on the set and off the set. So, uh, yeah, I bonded with him. We He kind of became the grandfather I, I never knew on either side of my family. So we were fast friends and would go to ball games and 
hang out together and you know it's basically I spend a lot of my time on the set hanging out with Fred Mertz who plays the character Bub on my three sons Ethel uh, Ethel where's Lucy <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, next door to us they started to shoot the Lucy show which had Ethel and so they were able to uh, keep perpetuating their ongoing feud with each other they're calling each other various <laughs> expletives, uh, but it was fun. You know, he was a fun guy, and uh, you know the other guys on the show were great. Uh, you know, Tim Constantine had actually worked with Fred McMurray a couple times, I believe, um, but most recently he was in the Shaggy Dog. I remember uh, that. That's a classic. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was great. So Tommy Kirk was the other son. He was the one that kept turning into the shaggy dog. And then there was a shaggy dog on the, in the movie, uh, and Tim Constantine. And there was a younger brother, uh, Kevin Corcoran. Uh, the guy played Moochie on the Disney shows. So mm -hmm. yeah, you know, if you look at it, I, I really think that's where the idea for my three sons may have actually started, uh, with somebody looking at that and thinking, Hmm, that combination of characters is interesting. Let's add a grandfather and, uh, you know, there you go. We got a TV show. So I, I think that that's what happened. Uh, that, that's kind of my guess anyway. And, um, you know, they tried that combo and went on TV in 1960, September 29th, 1960. From that point on, it was a hit TV show and kept going and going and going. Who knew? You know, it's, At, I, I would say who knew too. And of course, you know, having your brother, um, you know, real life brother Barry in the show who also played Ernie. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, did you guys play it out like you did in real life, like at home, or was it just simply just um, say, hey, you're supposed to do this, supposed to do that? And I'm sure you guys, um, <laughs> you know, operate very well on the set and off the set. Yeah, yeah. We, we've probably gotten a few more fist fights off the set than on, but, you know, we, we're pretty close brothers the whole time. But like any brothers, you get into scraps once in a while over something but yeah i was really happy to have him on the set and not, not that i wanted to see tim leave but he was leaving voluntarily and you know wanted to see what else show business had to offer for him career-wise and i think he had aspirations to become a director and producer and writer uh so he left and you know uh, it was a show called my three sons and we suddenly had two sons and we needed a third son in a hurry uh but by that point my brother was actually on the show playing a friend of mine, a school, you know, schoolmate. And, um, and he'd come home and, you know, uh, they had some episodes that actually they wrote kind of around him, even though he really wasn't a cast member yet, but you know, people seemed to warm up to his character. So it was decided he was going to be a foster child and the Douglas hold was going to, uh, adopt him. And, uh, anyway, it killed two birds with one stone. He got adopted and we had a third son. <laughs> still be called my three sons oh, oh it sounds like it worked beautiful too that must have been one of the challenges and of course it's also unique so what are the challenges have you faced in um in my three sons uh well for us the challenge was when the season would end you know both barry and i were of the age where we were still in school and um yeah, we had to go to school when, when we weren't shooting. Most kids in Hollywood that were on you know, various TV shows would, it was a school in Hollywood called Hollywood Professional School. And uh, they went there three hours a day. And my parents decided, you know, we weren't going to be with other actors. We were going to be with real kids. And uh, so they wanted us to go back to public school. And, uh, yeah, at the time it was pretty intimidating, you know, having been out of, 
the realm of public school and going back into it because you knew everybody's going to be, you know, staring at you and coming up to you and either wanting to be your friend or wanting to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beat the crap out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm better than you. It's like, you know, that mentality. So I've been through it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, came back and yeah, most of, most of them want to be your friends, but there was always, you know, one or two a-holes that, you know, would mock you or do stuff and yeah finally couldn't take it anymore and you'd be in a some kind of fist fight or altercation and uh some i won i guess some i lost i don't know i i can't even remember anymore but you know at that age everybody is uh you're just trying to sort of Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Slowly move into your teenage years and then your manhood. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, everybody's personality at that point is being defined as to, you know, whether you're going to be an A-type personality, a B or a wimp or a whatever. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, that was daunting. You know, but yeah, after a week it would wear off. You know, you cause a stir in every class you would go into because suddenly there's Chip Douglas sitting in your class and it was hard for, you know, kids to separate that. And, uh, you know, or other ones thought, oh, you know, he thinks he's special or whatever. So, yeah, that was always daunting to try and just be like they were and, you know, get through that part of it. And after, you know, a couple of weeks when they saw you, you know, were the same as... They were, they'd forget about you being on the show, I think. It, so It just seems like the novelty wears off after a while, then things go back to normal and everything just goes as planned, that sounds sounds like. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And you know, it wasn't like I was there for a long time, I think, which made made it difficult, too. You know, I'd go into public school, like I said, for the first two, three weeks. It was a horror in my mm-hmm. life. And then, you know, you'd have another month where it was pretty much it. And then by the end of the third month, uh, you know, my... I'd be going back to work, so I'd be pulled out of school and back on the set and, you know, uh, back with a tutor. And uh, that was the one good thing about having Barry when he finally joined the show permanently. Uh, you know, at least I had somebody on the set that was my age. So, mm-hmm. and, my, and my brother and I did get along real well. So, yeah, it was nice to have his company and company in school and somebody to play baseball with and ride bikes and play games and, you know, play guitars and whatever we were doing at that moment in our, our childhoods and teenage years. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was as normal as you could expect it to be for the work we were doing, I guess, or the occupation. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, we made the best of it. Yeah, yes, it sounds like you guys um, didn't have a lot of challenges. There were some. It sounds like um, everything's going really good. And, of course, you know, when it comes to my three sons, what do you consider your most 
favorite episode you've ever been in? Um, well, the pilot's probably a pretty good one for me because it, it kind of focused on Fred McMurray's character and me. Kind of, there's these two women that like us. You know, one's a little girl in in my class, and you know, at that age, boys don't really like girls, and you know, she's just an annoyance. And then Fred is a widower, so all the women are after him because mm-hmm. he's this hunk. And uh, yeah, they're all women in their thirties, or you know, looking to. I guess seduce him and make him a, <laughs> come come into the Douglas household and become the mom, you know, or whatever. I don't. I, anyway, so the episode he didn't really want to go out on the date. You know, I think he's attracted to her, but it just didn't feel right. So at the end, we're both invited to a dance. Well, I'm invited to the dance, and uh, I don't want to go. And he gives me this big lecture about how sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do, and it, you know, just. It's better to let the person down easy and, you know, instead of just being horrible to her. But then the same thing happens to him. He gets forced to go to the same dance by this woman. <laughs> and so he's now put in the position I'm in. And finally, somewhere in the, you know, we dance with the girls. And then there's a scene where we're sitting there and he's, you know, thinking, let's get the heck out of here. So he goes, sure, maybe, maybe we should leave really. And they go, I know what you're saying. Let's get out of here. So, yeah, we, we both dumped these women at the, uh, at the, at the altar. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you. It's me. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or, or Fred McMurray, like he could have done a real life where he brings, um, just drives a station wagon and a, and a brown bag lunch. He could have said, Hey, would you like a brown bag lunch? You know, he could have said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he probably could have. Yeah, and I mean, he was definitely, uh, yeah, for being a big movie star, just kind of like a normal guy, you know? Whoever heard of a movie star eating from a brown bag lunch? It's and almost a- like an oxymoron. <laughs> and, and, of course, I think some people would um, take that as well, too. Very humble and everything else. Of course, Amar Fred McMurray, and, of course, you know, working with him as well, too. And what do you consider your most memorable moment, either on the set or off the set of My Three Sons? Um, well, most of the time on the set, this had to do with actually Bill Frawley when I was 14, you know, I was into surfing and like I said, I was really close friends with Bill Frawley, but you know, what's the guys in his mid seventies and, you know, even though we were friends, uh, a lot of times, you know, older people, especially that age, just paying lip service, you know, listening to you and all that, but he knew I was into surfing and, uh, anyway, it was my birthday and, you know, you figure, hey, you could have made it easy on himself, got a card and put a $20 bill in it and go, hey, you know, from Uncle Bill the Chip or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> we were shooting scenes. And uh, anyway, I went back to my dressing room to change clothes and lo and behold, what's in my dressing room but a nine-foot Dewey Weber uh, surfboard. Oh, my it, gosh. Yeah, there was a card taped on it. It says, you know, to Chip from Uncle Bill. Or I thought yeah, I was going to say uh, a cowabunga, dude. <laughs> yeah. Or a 60-foot centerfold would have been nice. <laughs> that would have been more likely from Bill Frawley. But, uh, you know, it sh- showed me he was really in tune with me and, you know, really wanted to find something that I was, you know, interested in, not just a $20 bill. But, <laughs> you know, uh, and then, you know, bringing a surfboard is like going to a, a toy store and buying a toy car or a, you know, some simple thing, you know, like a bathing suit or something, you know, which surfboard is like probably about 60, 70 pounds and it's nine feet long. And here's a guy that doesn't drive. So <laughs> he went to some effort, you know, to show that he cared about me is what I'm saying. And you know, I, I mean, I was overwhelmed. So, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, that was probably my most memorable moment, uh, you know, on the set there with, and, with Bill. And, and, and of course, too, you know, going, uh, having it go from 1972, and of course, you know, and of course, there's also a change of social um, norms as well, too, especially with the uh, British invasion of the Beatles, 1964, yeah. 65, yeah. 66. And of course, the question is, um, did you guys change with the times when the Beatles um, started coming Not into form? Did you guys uh, just stay the same? I did. I did. Our characters didn't, you know, the producers, you know, I, I think, you know, they just saw it as the next thing happening in show business, but not realizing the impact it had on American teenagers, you know, at that moment in time. I don't think there was a kid in America that didn't want to be the Beatles. And <laughs> I think every loose guitar in every pawn shop was bought up and, you know, garage bands formed and everybody's trying to learn how to become a Beatle, you know, and, Anyway, I know I did. I, yeah, a friend of mine who was a little bit older had bought the album Meet the Beatles at the end of 63, and I was just overwhelmed when I heard it, all that harmony and you know the way they looked. and It's sort of like, I, I want to be that. <laughs> I want to be Chip <laughs> on my three cents. Uh, so anyway, I did find a place to buy the boots. So I was one of the first people I know of, especially in school, they have beetle boots. It was, I didn't realize all they were, were Spanish flamenco boots. Mm -hmm. And uh, right near where we shot on Paramount, there was a, a shoe store near us, but it was called Benson's Bootery. And, you know, he sold all kinds of boots from all over the world and came in, had the picture of the album, said, do you have these? He says, oh yeah. You know, it was like no big deal. This guy didn't know he was about to sell about 10,000 of those a week. You know, because this was December of 63, so it hadn't fully hit yet what the Beatles were to become and the influence and not only music, but culture and fashion. Uh, you know, they were icons of that era. So, yeah, I bought that. I bought a guitar at a pawn shop. Uh, about two years later, I bought a, a better guitar at Wallach's Music City in Hollywood. I bought a Fender Mustang, which was sure a heck of a lot easier to play than the classical wide neck <laughs> uh, metal string guitar i had bought in the pawn shop which oh my gosh that's what i learned on so yeah when you finally got a tapered neck and slinky strings you're and you already knew how to play you were sort of in business <laughs> <laughs> or trying to impress freshman murray with it too so <laughs> yeah well i don't know we're gonna press him in fact i don't think we impressed the studio either we could play them but we couldn't plug them into an amp which is what they were meant to do but yeah finally i think it was 65 i bought another guitar bought a gibson 335 and i bought a gibson country western at the same time so that guitar wasn't amplified but it, you know for a, a nice acoustic guitar it also had a had a country western look to it but it also had that tapered neck so you know it's much easier to play and um yeah, the strings weren't quite so high off the frets. I think that first guitar, I think those strings were about an inch and a half off the frets. It was oh my gosh, it was gr gruesome what you had to go through to push those strings down. So yeah, when you finally got a Fender Mustang, the action was you know so easy. It was you know you just put your finger on it and the uh, the string was down on the fret. So yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. 
That is, that is very nice, too. Of course, we'll get to um, what you've been doing lately as a uh, producer and director and your own company. But first, I'd like to remind you, listen to The Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com. Powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com. Looking for a professional website without breaking a budget? Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today at 800-303-3960. That's 800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show and get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, you can hear the Mike Wagner Show at the Mike Wagner show.com you can also hear on the facebook page at the facebook.com slash the mike wagner show also soundcloud spreaker spotify and iheart radio we're here with uh, stanley livingston who played chip on my three sons and going through my three sons he also got into uh producing directing and he's got his own company called first team productions you can also visit on the website fall so first of all um tell us about your beloved company well it's uh, one of many companies i've been different companies over the years but yeah what happened to me how i got interested in production is is uh, you know flash forward here i am but in the beginning uh, i was on my three sons as an actor and you know when i was about 15 16 i started getting interested in the you know the other side of the camera like how do you make these things how do you put it together uh the cameras the editing and you know fortunately the uh crew we have were these old timers who you know went out of their way to impart information if you were interested and some of the people we had work at my threes uh-huh you know a few generations ahead of me but our director of photography and you know was an academy award-winning cinematographer and you know other people had won awards earlier in their lives and you know a little bit later it was easier for them to do tv so yeah i learned a lot about you know cameras editing um production work, uh, you know, how you do scheduling and budgeting and everything. So by the time I was about 18, I formed my first production company with another guy. And, yeah, we started shooting commercials and little industrial and educational films. And, you know, they were all done on film those days. And then you would edit them together on a movieola, and that's how it was done. And then videotape came in and CMX editing. First, it was linear editing, which you would build up whatever you're shooting. So you better be sure you wanted it because as soon as you put it in, in line in the video, it was there. And you were only creating stuff downstream of that. But if you decided to go back and insert something before you, from that point on, you had to start all over again. So, mm, okay. So yeah, what was good is when they came in with nonlinear editing, which meant you could drop things in anywhere. And it, you know, if you dropped it in between, Something in the beginning, it would just shove everything, you know, downstream or south of that downstream, so it didn't destroy the footage, uh, the next. So that that was great. Uh, so yeah, you know, learning the tricks of the trade and how to get things done, get them done on time, on budget, and all that. So, you know, been involved. Uh, you know, we did uh, feature film. Uh, well, in fact, the, one of the last things I did was a Cinerama film. We actually, uh, in fact, it was that guy, Dave Strohmeyer, that I was mentioning, uh, came to me and said, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing a, a, a Cinerama film with me? And I'm like, yeah, well, how are we going to do that? You know, there's no Cinerama cameras. And he said, no, they, they are. They're in storage at the Cinerama Corporation. And there's enough of them that we can cannibalize parts off of it to get one of them working and, and do this uh film called in the picture so uh, that's what happened uh, i was one of the producers on that with dave and 
Uh, we did this film called In the Picture, and it uh, debuted at the Cinerama Film Festival. And, uh, yeah, in fact, we got an amazing review from Leonard Moulton on it. And, uh, and then they ran the re all the rest of the Cinerama films that whole week. So, uh, yeah, In the Picture ran about four or five times. And they ran all the rest of the uh, Cinerama films about four or five times, sometimes in the daytime, some in the evening. Uh, and then I was involved in this really big project, uh, which was kind of a, it's like my payback to the in industry, uh, you know, having come from the world of being an actor and, and watching friends of mine or people come out here that I didn't know struggling to become actors and trying to figure out what was wrong, why you know, most of them didn't make it, you know, few did. Uh, but most people, you know, did it for a while and then got out of the business and it just didn't work out or, you know, they just struggled and suffered and I was of, always of the mind that it wasn't just the acting part you know most of the people I met were pretty good actors and have been trained very well for whatever school they went to whether it was a mom and pop school or the actors studio in New York or Yale or Harvard uh, but you know there's actors out there as we speak every year dropping anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars on up to you know, a couple hundred grand if you're going to Yale or Harvard to learn how to act. <laughs> so the craft part, you know, that's doable and it's manageable and people know how to teach it. And that's great, except what you find out after you graduate. And I think this was something that the schools and universities don't want to tell you is, oh, by the way, there's this other thing we're not teaching you called the business of acting. <laughs> And that's the part where you have to figure out how to get into the industry and bring what you learn craftsman-wise and your artistic abilities and your talent to. Uh, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's pretty much what they're saying, too. And I was talking to some people, and uh, they say that they don't place you at jobs. They don't give you jobs. It's like you get yeah, out there and no. uh, find them yourself. So that's the one part that they and need to get out to there, find too. Out. Even to finding out how you get in that position to find out about them is, you know, is a whole thing. And some of them you can't even get on unless you have an agent. How do you get an agent? Oh, well, I haven't worked well. Well, after you work, uh, you'll get an agent. It's like, yeah, but how do I get the work to get the agent? You know, it's a vicious circle. And um, anyway, that, that's the part of show business that really has never been focused on or accounted for. And uh, unfortunately... Whether you came for Yale or Harvard or some mom and pop school, you're left basically to reinvent the wheel every mm -hmm. time. Every actor reinvents the wheel because there's nobody there to guide you, to help you, to mentor you. Uh, so, yeah, it's all these people struggling, you know, that are probably fine actors, but don't have a clue about the business. And, you know, where do you go to find out about it if it's not being taught? So mm -hmm. I had the idea of doing a, a, a DVD series because would be the best way to get it to people because I couldn't be everywhere to teach a, a formal class. So I invited a hundred industry people that were friends of mine, peers, people that I'd worked with, worked for uh, to participate in this. And I kind of over a period of time came up with, a, with what I thought would be the curriculum for a what I the project was called the actor's journey. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, basically it's this process of what you are required to do when you're not acting, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is the the grunt work of becoming an actor. So we did a 10 hour long program, uh, ended up being put out on uh, eight DVDs. 
And uh, that's the adult version, meaning you're at least 18 years older. We also did another version of it that's five hours long called The Actor's Journey for Kids and Teens, which is really addressed to the parents because the parents are the ones that launch the careers of kids and they're legally responsible. And, you know, they bear the brunt of, of all the work that needs to be done, except for the acting mm. that the kid does. So. Anyway, we put this program together. Like I said, I brought 100 people to it, actors, directors, producers, executive producers, showrunners, uh, agents, managers, talent managers. Uh, I have the president of the Screen Actors Guild at the time we shot and the president of the Directors Guild of America and about 10 people that sat on various boards uh, at Screen Actors Guild. Uh, basically look at the actor from a plethora point of views you know that way you're getting the entire picture not just the picture from another actor telling you who's probably got the same problems you do but you need to hear from the other side of what they're looking for otherwise mm -hmm. none of it makes sense so anyway uh i would say 40 45 of those people that i brought into the project had been nominated or won academy emmy golden globe awards so they're literally the horse's mouth on this subject and uh, yeah, if you you know see the entire program, you are armed with knowledge that you probably would never get. And mm. if you did get it, it would probably take you ten years to get it, and by then you'd be worn out and broke. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That sounds like a great idea. What you're doing now with this ten-hour-long program, the actor's journey, is that something you can purchase on Amazon, or you buy at Barnes uh, and Noble, or how how do you purchase it? Yeah, we had a website up called theactorsjourney.com, which we've taken down because right now it's being converted into a website where you can go. Like I said, originally you purchased the DVDs in a, you know, in a set. Uh, but now the way we want to do it, it's, you know, it's completely different. To, everything is streaming media now. So mm -hmm. basically you can either buy the whole thing and, and watch the whole thing or you can buy volumes. And each volume has about eight or ten of the uh, the you know, the segments on it, or you can buy it segment by segment, you know, that way if you don't have a lot of money, you know, it's not going to wipe you out. You know, it's probably a couple bucks per segment and you watch it, you know, at your leisure. And, you know, when you have the money, uh, you can go through it or, you know, if you're well healed, you can buy the whole thing and sit there and watch it for 10 hours. And like I said, when you walk away, you'll, you'll know what you're doing where other people are going to, you know, be out there floundering literally mm -hmm. for, for years. It's, it's a real shame, but it, it's what I call the dirty little secret of our industry. It, it and uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I okay. You, you still there to maybe teach it? Yeah, you there? Hello? Okay, yeah. I think we all uh, bleep in the um, in, in the uh, technical with the phones and everything. But uh, go ahead here. Oh, I was saying, yeah. Well, originally I was going to try and teach a program at UCLA. I offered it to them and. Lo and behold, they didn't want it. But, you know, what it always, I finally figured out what it boiled down to is, you know, they're taking a lot of money from people to teach them how to become actors. And, yeah, they really don't want the responsibility or let it be known. We're only teaching you half of, you know, what you need to know. Mm -hmm. So if they can just bury that little secret, that that's great for them. You know, you'll find out about it soon enough. You're going to graduate and go, uh, what the hell do I do? I know how to act, but I sure don't know how to get in the industry or what anything means. So, yeah, it's really frightening that that does happen. Mm -hmm. And it happens everywhere. And there's so many schools and universities now that, you know, teach acting, teach dramatics. 
and they seem to be very reticent to uh, get involved in this other side of the industry thing. So, mm-hmm. it, um, it, and it, it sounds like you have a really good idea going on too. And of course, we encourage everybody to um, check out the program, purchase the DVDs. It can be a set or a few CDs, or just one, and go your leisure. That's a very good idea. We have a few minutes left with Stanley Livingston. We know you're a very busy guy, and you're working on a feature film which involves the Beatles, which we're talking about. So um, tell us about your latest project. Uh, well, yeah, we're doing a film around the Beatles, but it's like the earliest days of the Beatles. Uh, it's actually when they were called the Quarrymen, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much how it all came together, but there's a lot of material out there, but you know, I've never seen some of the stuff that we touch on done in a feature film. And, it, you know, it's, it's pretty much how the Beatles almost didn't make it, really. Mm. There were a lot of things that happened that I, I, I don't want to go into on the radio and give it, give it away. But it, you it, know, whatever, It's okay. Let's keep everybody, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> literally <laughs> shot down the Beatles before they got started due to, you know, their own nature and things that were going on. Uh, but yeah, we felt there was sufficient material there to, you know, turn it into a pretty exciting uh, film. And you know, uh, my partner's still hammering out on the screenplay. Uh, we're still trying to get a, a shooting copy that we like. And yeah, hopefully that'll go into production this year. I've got another film uh, that we've got out there that we're actually this one where everything is pretty much done. We're just trying to secure the financing for it at this point called. Uh, uh, race with the dragon, which is about a uh, fossil find in China, right on the eve of World War II. It's actually based on a real event that happened in China, and uh, yeah, it's kind of an action thriller and a, a real-life Indiana Jones story, if you will. Oh my gosh, that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. So we'll keep that under wraps, and, uh, and as soon as it comes out, I'd like to have you on next time. We'll talk more about that and everything else. And of course, um, and of course, before we let you go here, it's been great talking to you, Stanley. So tell everybody, um, where can they watch all the uh, My Three Sons reruns, and where can they um, find your well, website I... and how they contact you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do have a website. I have a what I call a fan website. Uh, that one's pretty easy to find because it's my name, stanleylivingston.com, and I try and keep it current with stuff that I'm working on or things that I think would be interesting to fans. There's some information on that in the picture movie there, some stuff even on the on my own site about how the West was won and all the films I've been in over the years and, and all that stuff. I also have a production company. It's called First Team Productions. So you go to firstteamproductions.com. Uh, you can also reach me through there and uh, you can see what I'm up to and see some of the projects I've worked on over the years. And as far as my three sons, I know there are DVDs that have been, were out there. I know uh, CBS finally licensed to somebody uh, to get the first two years out there. And there's only two years out of 12, but you have to remember in the early days of My Three Sons, we were shooting almost 40 episodes a year. So I believe there are 78 episodes in the first two years that are primo and out there on DVD. Uh, a lot of them are available. If you just want to go to YouTube and I've even seen bootleg copies of the entire series. So it's out there. If you, you know, are still a fan and want to watch it. And for people that like to watch it on TV, if you have me TV, uh, it's on every morning. Okay. All right. That's yeah, starting uh, next year. Uh, we'll be 
the 60th year that we did the pilot and in 2020 it'll be on the air 60 years without ever going off wow somewhere, some way so that's well, pretty amazing you know i'll have to mark our calendar down like to have you on for that uh 60th special and of course stanley's been great like to have you on again thank you very much for your time it's been great and look forward to uh chatting with you again very soon all the best to you thanks mike it's been great being on talking to you You've been listening to The Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios at themikewagnershow.com. Visit sonicwebstudios.com today for all your web design needs. If you would like to be a sponsor of The Mike Wagner Show, call or text at 701-301-7705 or email to mike at themikewagnershow.com. If you're a listener and would like to support our program, visit themikewagnershow.com and click on the support button and donate today. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time on The Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.